Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning, Jubilee. It's so great to be together again here today. And we're continuing the series in Philippians, and actually this letter closes on a very uh, practical note. We're, we're working from verses 10 through 20, but I'm going to spend most of the time today on 11 through 13. Paul uh, concludes this letter with a, a, a gracious thank you note because of the gift that he had received from the Philippians and uh, how they had been so kind to him in that. He's rejoicing uh, with them and in them. And he notes that in verse 17, he notes that, he says, not that I seek the gift. I really wasn't seeking the gift. He's grateful to have it, but he's, he's especially grateful for this fact. I seek the fruit of your increase of, to your credit. And so what he's acknowledging here is, in fact, that their generosity is, is a resulting in great fruit in the gospel of Jesus going forward. And I would say the same to Jubilee Church. I'm absolutely amazed whenever I think of this pandemic and what we've been through and unable to gather like we were, that your generosity has continued. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice not just in the gift, but that a fruit will remain for your credit. It was a thank you note that expresses gratitude, but at the same time, Paul is saying, I I don't want to give the impression that God is not sufficient. He is still sufficient even without the gift. And he says, I've learned to be content. Now, that's what I'm going to speak about to you today, this issue of contentment, something that seems absolutely impossible in order to be content in absolutely any situation or circumstance that you face. That's a battle. Seems impossible. (laughs) I face it just like you do. But the lack of content is reflected in our society today. We see the unrest, we see the anger and hostility. Uh, it's reflected in rising consumer debt where people want to have things that they really can't afford, but they want it now and they think it will add something to their life. It's reflected in divorce, in that somehow you're not making me happy, I'm not contented with you anymore. The rising divorce rate, it's reflected as well as in... Uh, uh, the lottery, for instance, what if I hit the jackpot? Then I'll have everything that I want. It's reflected in all sorts of social issues that we see. The, the proliferation of prescription anxiety drugs indicate a basic discontent that is rampant in people and in the world today. Now, Paul writes in verse 11 about the gift that he's received. He says, it's not that I'm speaking of being in need, Because I've learned in whatever situation that I'm in to be content. The reason he can rejoice in distressing situation is because he's discovered a secret. It's a secret that's so valuable for you and I. The secret of how to be content. He discloses in verses 11 through 13. This way, he says, I've learned it. I've learned how to be content. He says, now I know. 
I know how to be content. Then he says, I've learned the secret, which uh, ends up with him saying, therefore, I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. Now, that was something that's quite valuable. How do you find contentment in the midst of all sorts of negative circumstances? And it's an elusive pursuit. We go after things that we think will somehow make us happy and make us content, only to discover it didn't work in the first place. That even if you get what you want, somehow it didn't work. And we were far happier when we started this quest. Kind of reminds me of the story of two uh, teardrops floating down the river of life. And one teardrop said to the other, who are you? And they said, well, I'm the teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. And who are you? I'm the teardrop from the girl who got him. And so (laughs) it is so absolutely true, isn't it? Now, here's what contentment means in this context, which Paul writes. It's to have an inner peace or a poise. It's to have uh, an equilibrium, a steadiness, regardless of the situation. And it it actually means in the Greek to be self-sufficient or independent. And what that means is to be independent of anything external to bring to me commitment, contentment. It's an inner sense of peace that only comes when one is right with God and truly believes that he's in, in control of everything. The opposite of contentment is striving, it's uh, worry, anxiety, it's joylessness. We see that everywhere. Now, If you were to think about Paul's circumstances, which makes it even more remarkable that he would say he's he's learned contentment, is that Paul's in a Roman prison. He had at one point had a privileged life. He was a Jewish rabbi. He was uh, a high office holder. He was a Pharisee. He was uh, well-respected. He was a Roman citizen, which had uh, several privileges. He was an educated man, and he had very wealthy parents. But when he came to know Jesus... He was disavowed by his parents, and everyone turned against him. And his life was a one a difficulty after another. And now, at an old age, where you think he would be sitting in a place of honor, instead, he's in a dungeon changed between two Roman guards, a cold, damp prison with a sentence of death. And yet, here's the amazing thing. He is unshakably happy and content. In fact, this is what he says, and it's in response to the gift that came. He says, I really don't have any need. I don't have any needs. He says, I, I'm not looking for anything external to somehow make me happy. You see, in our circumstance, in our life, we're always trying to find a, a sense of contentment or inner rest or calm. And yet we face the boss, and we're facing bills and difficult relationships, maybe sickness, maybe you are facing the fact that you may be unemployed or going to be unemployed soon, you can get pretty anxious about uh, all of those things. And in the midst of those types of things, Paul said, I've learned something. I've learned how to be content. You see, we aren't born that way. None of us are born content. Our natural spirit is strive to get more, and we see that with little kids. I have, I have a great-grandson who's into monster trucks, and he can't get enough of them. And he's got dozens and dozens, but he still wants more. It's it's the way we are. We're always 
seem to be striving for something. And yet Paul says, I've learned something. I've learned what real contentment is. I know what it is. I've learned the secret, he said. I've been taught the secret, and therefore I, I can do anything that Christ asks of me to do because of his particular strength. You see, in the midst of dire outward circumstances, Paul had this inner poise and calm. He'd learned it. It was a it was a process. It's not something that came to him instantly like a gift. He said, I had to learn it. And I can think of many instances in his life where he learned what it was to be content in the midst of his circumstances. Paul lived in the day of the Stoics, and the Stoics taught that the reason most people aren't able to live contented lives is because they love the wrong things. So they say, if you love success, you're not going to be contented because even if you achieve success, you're going to worry uh, about losing it. So you, if you uh, love family, then, you, then you're going to worry about when you have a family because something could go wrong with your family. And so they say, the Stoics say, the only uh, way to be content is within yourself. That somehow uh, you need to give yourself and love that which you can control. Love yourself first. Don't set your heart on these other things because you could lose these things, and therefore you lose your contentment. They say, don't give your heart to them. But Paul's contentment was not the contentment of the Stoics, the self-sufficient, stiff upper lip, emotional detachment that the Stoics propagated, the independence from circumstances as a result of certain mental discipline. No, no, his sufficiency was in a dependency on someone who is worthy of a dependency, and that was upon the Lord. Now, today, the Stoics still proliferate. If you go to Amazon, all the self-help books tell you how you can control your destiny, how you can be a certain thing, and somehow find an independency and self-sufficiency within yourself. But it just doesn't work. Paul learned the secret of being content in the midst of abundance or in the midst of poverty. He learned that it's not just the absence of problems that brings contentment, but it's the presence of something. It's not about denying the facts that are around you, but it's finding something that enables you to triumph in them, over them, and through them. You see, contentment is not derived from the absence of problems. It's found in the presence really, in the presence of God himself. So as a Christian, if you, if you think nothing really bad should happen to you because you're a Christian, well, you're mistaken because the Bible doesn't teach that. It says in the world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. There are many lives in the Scripture that are an illustration of people that followed God, but they had all kinds of unjust and evil things happen to them. No, it's the sense that God is with you in the midst of those things that everything's going to be okay because God's there. My daughter used to have nightmares, wake up in the middle of the night screaming, afraid. And I would go in and by her bed and kneel down and take her in my arms and say, it's okay, baby, daddy's here. It's something about my presence that changed everything for her. 
Paul is saying the presence of God enables you to triumph over all of these things. And this is where Paul's at. And he's steady in the midst of all that's befallen him unjustly, injustice for sure. And he's content. He said, I found a secret. How to be content, to be calm and have peace in the midst of any circumstance. In fact, the whole book of Philippians is about joy. And he writes it from prison. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, I'm able to even experience joy in the midst of all of these situations. He couldn't be broken. He could smile at them because God would never forsake him. God was there. Now, here's the question. How can you develop this? Simply first, it's believing that God knows what you need and will provide it, and you trust him. The dark places can be the best places to learn about the grace and provision of God. Paul, who learned to be content, one time prayed about a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was harassing him. It was so serious that he prayed three times for its removal. And when God answered his prayer, it was not by removal. It was by a different vehicle. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's in the midst of this dilemma which Paul faced that he was going to discover something better than the removal of the thorn. It was the grace and sufficiency and presence of God coming to him, giving him strength to go in and through this situation. You may have asked God for things, looking for a particular answer. We have a, we have a tendency to prescribe to God what we think he should do, and it seems obvious to us, therefore obvious to God he should do this. We're looking for God to do a particular thing, but it may not happen to you, and you think God didn't answer your prayer, which actually is not true because God will give us what we actually would have asked of him if we knew what God knows. He knows the end from the beginning. I'll give you an example of that. When I was a senior in high school, I was in love with a girl named Nancy. Uh, Nancy was a year ahead of me, and so she had gone on to university while I was a senior in high school. But I had a scholarship to the same university, so I would be joining her before very long. That particular year, God spoke to me that I was not to go to the university, but I was to go to Bible college, that I was to commit my life not to a career, but I was to commit my life to him and in service to him. Now, I, I knew this would be a difficult conversation to have with Nancy, and I loved her with all my heart, and I was praying, oh, God, help her to accept this. And I went down to see her, and I told her about my decision. I wasn't going to go to the university. I was going to go to Bible college. I was going to give myself in service to God. And would she join me in that? Without hesitation, she said no. And I remember when I left that campus that I thought, this is the last time I will see her, and it was. And for the months after that, I was, it was pretty painful for me. And you went, well, you're, you were young, it was puppy love, but puppy love is real to the puppy. And the fact is, it was real for me. But in the midst of that, I discovered that God did answer my prayer because later on, he brought to me the lady who is now my wife. He knew exactly what I needed and he answered my prayer. And the point is, if you knew what God knew, you would pray for what 
God knows you need. And so therefore, it's about trust. Set your heart on God. He doesn't change. He's the only thing that doesn't change. Circumstances will change. But even in the worst circumstances, it cannot take away from you. Uh, Even the worst circumstances of life will only give you more. I can't think of anything worse than death. But even in that, the Bible says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even death. And even in death, which can be the worst, it seems, you get more than you had before because now we have the presence of God. But even in death, we have more of the presence of God. So the secret of Paul's contentment in prison, as well as all the adversity that he uh, experienced, is disclosed right here in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I've learned. I, I know. I know. I, I've been taught the secret of being content, and therefore, no, I'm not limited. I can do anything through Christ, who is my strength. You see, his focus was not the circumstances. This is the big trial for us. His focus was on Jesus and drawing from Jesus' strength. You see, if heaven is where God is, then in Paul's case, heaven was in that prison because the Lord was with him. God's presence is with us. And that's the key to it all. And so Paul could look at these chains and the darkness of the prison, and he could look at a God who was with him. The Lord had appeared to him before, had apprehended him on a Damascus road. And he said, and and prayed to be with him. And he said at his first trial, he says, all the believers and friends left him. The Lord stood with him and strengthened him. And so the key to contentment is not in things or external situations changing. The key to contentment is in a person, God himself. And he who started a good work, Paul says, will complete it. And you may quit, but he won't quit. I love where Paul came. I want to be where where Paul came from. He said, for me to live is Christ. That's his life. And he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's that's the total focus. I remember, I want to quote a guy named uh, John Murray. He was a professor, and he said this. The mother of all doctrines is the union of a believer with Jesus Christ by saving faith. It is inseparable and an everlasting union in which Christ also nourishes and cherishes him. Just as a Christian husband is to nourish and cherish his wife, he does this every moment of every day for every one of us by granting us sufficiency of grace. That's where it's at. It's in union with Jesus. That was the key to Paul's happiness, his contentment. I don't need anything. I'm sufficient. The Lord was with him. How could Paul be unhappy? In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. Now, whether people speak well of you or not well of you, whether they praise you or despise you, whether we live in poverty or we live in abundance, whether we have sickness or health, we're able. We're able. So Paul could say, I'm able to do all of these things who gives me strength. Right now in this dungeon where I'm changed with these soldiers, I'm free. God's with me. God's in me. I know that he will give me 
all that I need. If you live for anything other than supremacy of love of God, you're never going to know contentment. You're just going to know anxiety. Because life is so unpredictable. I mean, it can change in a moment and does for people. Joys and sorrows, blessings and distressing difficulty can come in a moment. Let me tell you a story of a man named Horatio Spatford. He was a lawyer and a real estate investor back in 1870 in uh, Chicago. In 1870, his life changed in a moment. It was turned upside down. He and his wife, Anna, lost their four-year-old son, only son, to scarlet fever. And then, a year later, the Chicago fire wiped out everything that he owned. He seemed to have lost everything. Thinking that his family needed a vacation that would do him so good, he sent his wife and daughters on a ship to England, planning on joining them whenever he uh, finished with some business that he needed to attend to. On that trip, that ship hit another ship and began to sink, sink quickly, sank in 12 minutes. Anna, his wife, gathered their four daughters and they prayed. The ship went down, the turbulence of the waters separated the family. Interestingly, amazingly really, Anna was found unconscious by a rescue ship that took her to England. And when she arrived in England, she cabled her husband just two words, saved alone. And Horatio immediately got a ship to England. And at one point during the voyage, the captain of the ship knew exactly where the ship he lost his family on went down and, and asked him to come and said, here is where it happened. We're passing over the exact spot right now. He later wrote a letter to Anna, his half-sister, Anna's half-sister. He says, on Thursday last, we passed over the spot, the spot where she went down in mid-ocean, the waters three miles deep. But I do not think of my dear ones there. They are safe, dear lambs. And there on that ship, he wrote this famous hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. He's dealing with grief. He's seeking peace and contentment. His focus is on Jesus. And look at the words of the song. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And though Satan may buffet through trials may come, lest the blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. You see, what is it about the loss of his four little girls that would cause him to say such words? Absolutely everything. Because when things go wrong and you think God's punishing you, look at the cross. Jesus took all of our punishment. Well, maybe God doesn't care. That's not true. But look at the cross, what he did for us. The, the hymn, we sing that hymn and observe a man who found focus and strength in Jesus coming into the contentment that is only possible when you're drawing on, I could do all things through Christ who is my strength. If you love him supremely, he will give you strength to pass through any situation. You along with Paul can say, okay, it's dark out there, but there's Jesus 
and I'm learning contentment. He's teaching me the secret of what it is to live a contented life. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, we know that there are many uh, listening today who have gone through and are experiencing very difficult things that want to draw our attention away from who you are and your loving care for us, your sovereignty and mercy attributed to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us now. We want to look to you in the cross, draw from your strength, O Lord, and know that these are only temporary things, but you never change. You will always be with us. You're the one who satisfies the soul. Nothing external will, only you, O Lord. So I pray, Lord, that lives will be altered as a result of the lessons that Paul is sharing with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.